Welcome to Christ City Church. My name is Justin. I'm one of the pastors here. Thank you for tuning in. Today's reading is from Matthew 5, verses 1 to 12. Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. He said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Throughout the um, Beatitudes series, we've been blessed to hear not just from our, our so-called regular preachers, but also from friends of our church. And this week, I'm thrilled to introduce my friend, Pastora Inez Velazquez McBride. Uh, she is currently a chaplain at Fuller Theological Seminary. She is co-lead pastor of The Church We Hope For, planting a multi-ethnic church with her co-pastor, Bobby Harrison, in Southern California. She is originally from Nicaragua. Inez earned her MDiv at Fuller Seminary and has 19 years of combined ministry experience in church planting and pastoral staff leadership in multi-ethnic churches. Inez has been married to her husband, Rob, for 15 years and loves being a soccer mom to their son, Nash. She is a brilliant theologian, a dynamic and faithful preacher, and I am so honored uh, that Inez is able to bless us with a word today. So would you join me in praying for our sister as she comes to preach. God, thank you for the manifold gifts that your spirit pours out on all creation. Thank you that there is no single receptacle of your blessing and that actually we need each other to better understand you. We need to hear from each other in order to better hear you. We need to be with each other in order to better experience you and your spirit. And so, God, I'm so grateful that we get to hear from Inez over on the West Coast sending, uh, sending sermons and blessings and peace uh, across the country to us here. God, we continue to lament uh, that we're, we're not able to be together in person. We're not able to, to, to show our affections to one another as a church community in person just yet. But God, even as we continue to pray for COVID, we thank you for the opportunity uh, that we have to be your church in the midst of this crisis, in the midst of this challenge, in the midst of this pandemic. God, the invitation is always there to seek you, to do good, to love our neighbors, to bring the good news, and to be the good news. So God, as Inez comes to bring the word, I pray that you would bless her as she speaks, that you would bless us as we listen and 
respond as your spirit leads. In your name, Lord Jesus. Amen. Buenos dias, church. It is a joy to be in the house of the Lord this morning with the familia of God this morning in D.C., all the way from California. I was oddly comforted to hear Pastor Matthew's sermon last week, knowing that he and I have two things in common. We love Jesus, and we have been captivated by telenovelas. I in my homeland of Nicaragua, and he in Nigeria. Blessed be the name of the Lord. I can neither deny nor confirm my father would disinherit me if I told you that he, as a pastor in Nicaragua growing up, where I am from, would not schedule church meetings around this one hour and one day of the week when this certain telenovela would come on. It was titled El Derecho de Nacer. The translation to English of that title was The Right to Live. Yes, it was as dramatic as it sounds. So I feel right at home in this pulpit, and I am honored to be joining the familia of God in D.C. in this larger narrative of life in the USA that feels like a telenovela most days. Grateful for the foresight of your pastoral team to enter into a slow sermon series to live into these beatitudes of our Lord. And thank you to Pastor Justin for the invitation today. Last week, Pastor Matthew taught on the sixth beatitude, Bienaventurados los de limpio corazón, porque ellos y ellas verán a Dios. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Today, we will step into the seventh beatitude that is found in Matthew chapter 5, verse 9. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called daughters of God and sons of God. And today, I would like to focus and break down the word peacemaker in the world in which that word is being lifted up in Jesus's lips. The first thing that strikes me is that all the previous Beatitudes have had a divine human exchange. They describe that you are lacking something or are in need of something, and then you get something in return. But this is the first and only Beatitude where you don't get something, and instead you're being identified in relationship to God as a daughter of God, as a son of God. There's a relational component, not a transactional component. And I believe that this is special, and it is indicative of something greater that Jesus wants us to pay attention today. This beatitude is a living and breathing body. You are being invited to embody something that is living and breathing and has a heartbeat, yours, and also the heartbeat of heavens, God's. Being a peacemaker is part of our spiritual identity. It is both a spiritual practice and a spiritual identity. I've been sitting with sipping and soaking in the Beatitudes since June of this past summer after the horrendous killings of Ahmaud Arbery and George Floyd. I believe I posted about this on social media and that's how Pastor Justin first reached out to me for your current sermon series. Your pastoral team has set a phenomenal foundation painting the reality of the time in which Jesus lived and the world behind Jesus as he said these words. When he spoke these words, 
So I won't repeat all that they have said. I just want to highlight some things that are important for today's word, peacemaker. I want to simply say by way of reminder that we are all both comforted and convicted by the Beatitudes. But what has struck me since June is that the Sermon on the Mount, the Beatitudes, is not a message for the blessed. Instead, it's for the oppressed. When Jesus sees the marginalized crowds, he knows the painful present reality that they find themselves in. The messenger on this mount embodies the message on this mount. And a Christ-like church cannot depart from the Christ on this mount today. A peacemaking church cannot depart from the prince of peace. It is a timely message and a timeless message for us in 2020. We have been in a season of mourning as we are all experiencing grief as a result of multiple pandemics. What's different about this grief is that it's compounded grief from many sources, collective grief, and sustained grief. Our world continues to groan and mourn and often feels in pieces. So when Jesus sees these crowds, he knows that they too have been waiting for over 400 years in a long and hard and unresolved waiting, waiting for a savior, waiting for peace. When Jesus sees the crowds, he knows that they have been exploited and abused. When Jesus sees the crowds, he is aware of the inequities surrounding land and taxes and property and enslaving loans that were suffocating people. When Jesus sees the crowds, he knows that their bodies and lives have been taxed heavily by both state and synagogue, which at the moment was a Roman empire and the local religious leaders, yes, of the time. When Jesus sees the crowds, he knows that there are social relationships that are marked by hierarchy, supremacy, superiority, and order of importance. The elite were growing rich at the expense of the poor and not all had, not all had access to food. Very much like the COVID-19 crisis has exposed the ongoing and pre-existing pandemic of systemic racism and health disparities in our black and brown communities. When Jesus sees the crowds, he knows that justice has been denied. Their lives are in fractured pieces. When Jesus sees the crowds, he knows that they're living in a false type of peace that was called the Pax Romana back then. The empire was afraid of anarchy and disorder, and they would say, peace, peace, when there was no peace. But actually worse than that, peace in the Greco-Roman empire, in the Greco-Roman consciousness, meant forced silence, forced subjugation. Hush, hush, don't say anything. Forced submission to the dominion of Rome. Roman supremacy meant that they were proud to impose their laws and their ways of life on other peoples, a twisted sense of peace that celebrated the elite, supposedly sanctioned by the gods that favored the emperor, who was a type of god, and nobody could touch the emperor. God forbid you said anything against the head of that state. And this type of peace also excluded the ones in the margins, the poor, the poor had no peace. This false sense of peace gave them permission to control and dominate, and that was the ideology. 
Before we attempt, therefore, to become peacemakers, we must ask ourselves, what peace? What peace are we talking about? Because the peace that Jesus was preaching was not of this world, was outside of Rome and did not exclude, did not include, excuse me, exploitation, but instead redemption. It was not a shallow peace, but a shalom type of peace that the spirit is inviting us even now as part of our spiritual identity. Shalom peace of the Basilea, of the El Reino de Dios, of the kingdom of God. That is where that peace is found. So to be peacemakers was not to be peacekeepers of the status quo, instead to be peace workers. Just like a woodworker works with wood, a peacemaker works with peace. In fact, a peacemaker is an architect of peace and works towards building peace. They work for peace and the work is peace. And the wood that we're working with, the wood is the blood-stained cross. The nails are the beatitudes, the stepping stones that take us towards peacemaking are each one of those beatitudes that are stepping stones walking us towards peacemaking. And the table of peace that we are building is an equitable table because at this table, a feast is served, not breadcrumbs, so that all have bread. I believe that this type of peacemaking, this type of table of peace, this type of woodworking with the bloodstained cross, this is an answer to the Lord's prayer for God's kingdom to come and God's will be done, not just one day, but now. This peace, therefore, speaks into our spiritual identity because in order for, to work for peace, we must know the author and architect of peace. And that is the Prince of Peace, not the one that the world gives, but this otherworldly peace that can be available to the world now through the Prince of Peace and through us. Intimacy with the Prince of Peace requires intimacy with the Spirit. If we're going to attempt to be peacemakers, it's going to have to be an otherworldly type of power. It cannot be done in human power. Otherwise, we will become like the Romans. But intimacy with the spirit will allow us to be image bearers of that kind of peace. And therefore, being called children of God, they're going to say, there goes a son of God. There goes a daughter of God to make peace. We must be intimately acquainted with Jesus. And I think that the world is sick and eager to see Jesus in us. Knowing Jesus recalibrates any ideas of making peace in our own image and instead in Jesus's image, in the kingdom image. This peacemaking can only be accomplished in spirit power not our human power. And so I find this recipe for peace in Isaiah 61, verses one through four. And I like to read these verses 
over you all as Christ City Church to remind you that this is your peacemaking tradition, that this is your peacemaking job description, that this is the place where we can find and recalibrate our center, our center when everything else that's chaotic in the world can take us away from center. Isaiah 61 verses 1 through 4. El Espíritu de Dios está sobre Christ City Church. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon Christ City Church because the Lord has anointed Christ City. He has sent them to bring good news to the oppressed in their neighborhoods, to bind up the brokenhearted in their homes, to proclaim liberty to the captives in their city, and to release and release the prisoners from captivity to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn around your community and in your homes and in your workplaces, to provide for those who mourn in Zion, to give them a garland instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the mantle of praise instead of a spirit of despair. Christ City Church will be called Oaks of Righteousness, the planting of the Lord for the display of God's splendor. In Christ City Church, they shall rebuild the ancient ruins. They shall restore the former devastations. They shall repair the ruined cities, the devastations of many generations. I believe that Isaiah 61 is both descriptive of a painful present reality, much like the Sermon on the Mount, and it's also prescriptive of what a peacemaking church ought to do. To be a peacemaker is to pick up the pieces of what violence has done to Shalom, and the three verbs that are here in the text in Isaiah are part of our job description as peacemakers to rebuild ancient ruins, restore former devastations, repair the ruined cities, the devastations of many generations. I believe that as peacemakers, you are midwives. You as a church and we as God's church have been invited right now into a time to heal and a time to hope a time to pick up the pieces, a time to rebuild people, a time to restore places, a time to repair broken systems and communities, to bring about shalom peace. Dr. Elizabeth Conde Fraser is a theologian and pastor that I highly respect. And she has a definition of shalom, of shalom excuse me, a definition of shalom that speaks into this shalom type of peacemaking that I'm trying to get to this morning. She says, and I quote, shalom is not about shifting power from one center to another. Rather, it involves distributing power among all equally. The journey from hospitality to shalom is one of the spiritual practices that free us from the inclination to dominate and control. They teach us to be servants of all people so that all are served equally as brothers and sisters. I love this idea that peacemakers and shalom makers are servants of all people. And the question is, what is keeping us 
from serving? What is keeping us? What is robbing us from serving in this way? What is keeping us from being peacemakers, both individually and collectively as a community? Is it peacekeeping? Is it fear? Is it trembling? Is it people pleasing? Is it afraid of rocking the boat? Because that that would be peacekeeping. That is not peacemaking. The message of the Beatitudes, of all the Beatitudes that you all have been working towards, is ensconced in a painful present. Yet the messenger of these Beatitudes is pointing to both a present and future hope in the midst of these dark realities. The leader of that mount led a peaceful protest where he was not okay with the status quo. God was the God of that protest and the Sermon on the Mount and the Redeemer of the oppressed. As a church, may we listen to these words. May we lament about the things that are not right in this world. May may we mourn and may we work for this type of shalom peace. As we live into this blessed beatitude, as we live into this embodied message and this specific beatitude as part of our spiritual identity, as discipulos and discipulas of Christ, as followers of Jesus, as sons and daughters, hijos e hijas de Dios. In the same way that Yahweh delivered the people, not by the hand of Moses, but not without it, God sends us as peacemakers, has anointed us to bring good news to the afflicted, even if that means, like the late Congressman John Lewis stated, that we get into good trouble, necessary trouble. That would be peacemaking. That is not peacekeeping. I want to repeat the words of Lisa that Pastor Matthew quoted last week, because the sustained wisdom of God through this woman of God, come on now, She just blessed my soul. And those words are worth repeating because they are so wise. And they're going to highlight the peacemaking work that I'm trying to get to today. And also my rereading of the Beatitudes in a minute. Lisa wrote for that article in Missio Alliance. And I quote, the work ahead will require a steadfast commitment to healing and reparation both of which are predicated on personal and communal repentance. She goes on to say, without an unwavering dependence on the Holy Spirit, this work will be shallow and short-lived. We must continue to pursue justice no matter how costly. It will cost time, it will cost money, it will cost personal comfort and ease of relationships. It will be messy, it will make us tired, but it will be the good kind of tired, end quote. That is peacemaking. Lisa was getting at the hard and holy and heavy work of peacemaking that requires an intimate dependence with the spirit that requires that we know the name of the prince of peace and you better know him, you better know his name, and you better know how to call upon his name when there is no shalom on this earth. Her call to Communal repentance repentance triggered something in my soul that God has been working on in me since this past summer. I want to offer a rereading of the Beatitudes that I wrote back in June 
where I flipped the Beatitudes inside out or on their side and I rewrote them as a form of confession and prayer. So when I read her words, I thought, oh my goodness, the Spirit is speaking to all of us and connecting all the dots, even throughout the weeks. So I rewrote the Beatitudes as a form of confession and prayer because I think I have to self-implicate in the violence of silence or in the complicity of systems that have kept all of us in bondage for over 400 years, not least of which the beautiful bodies of our Black sisters and brothers, the kids still in cages at the border, 666 of them still have not been reunified and they don't know where their parents are. Have mercy, God. The world is in pieces. However, what if we turn the Beatitudes into a form of confession as another way of us inviting us into the story and embodying the story? I believe that turning the Beatitudes into a form of confession helps me to turn my morning and our morning into dancing. I believe that this is how the oil of gladness begins to be poured out if we break open the jars of our hearts and begin with confession and repentance. What if we read the Beatitudes as a confession? So we're going to do that today, this morning, even though that we're, I'm not there in person with you to hear your voices say things back to me. But I'd like to invite you to sit there and just find your spot there in your chair, on your couch, wherever you are listening to this message. As we enter into a time of confession, we're going to read this together. I'm going to read each line, each beatitude, making our way all the way up to peacemaking and a little bit beyond. And after I read the beatitude in a form of confession and cry for help, I will say, Lord, have mercy. And I will pause and you will repeat and say after me, Christ have mercy. So I will read a line. I will say, Lord, have mercy. Pause. And right there behind your screen, you're going to say, Christ have mercy. We're going to live into this together and ask the Spirit to help us. So let us begin. Take a deep breath in. Let's just slow down for a minute. Take a deep breath in. And exhale. As we inhale and exhale these words as a confession and a cry for help, for the Holy Spirit to help us. Oh God, I want to inherit the kingdom of heaven, but I don't want proximity to the poor in spirit. Lord, have mercy. Oh God, I love to receive your comfort, but I don't want to know the causes of discomfort of those that mourn. Lord, have mercy. Oh God, I want to inherit the earth, but the idea of being meek or gentle is revolting to my pride and ego. Lord, have mercy. Oh God, I want to be satisfied in my own personal thirsts and appetites, but I don't have a hunger nor thirst for your kingdom, justice, and righteousness. Lord, have mercy. Oh God, I love to receive your mercy, but I have been hurt or taken advantage of many a time before, so I do not want to be merciful sometimes. Lord, have mercy. Oh God, 
I want to see your face, but that would involve seeing and confessing the sin that so easily entangles my impure heart and motives. Lord, have mercy. Oh God, I want to be called a daughter of God, a son of God, but I just want to keep the peace, not work for peace. Lord, have mercy. Oh God, I want to take part in the kingdom of heaven, but I want no part in being persecuted for the sake of your justice and righteousness. Lord, have mercy. Oh God, I have said and thought all kinds of evil when I have insulted your children and persecuted them because of me and not loved them because of you. Lord, have mercy. Christ, have mercy. Oh God, have mercy on us and give us the power of your spirit to become peacemakers that work for your peace amongst your people. May Christ City Church bring about your shalom by your spirit, in the power of your spirit, animated by your spirit, out of an overflow of intimacy with your spirit. May Christ City Church be equal parts comforted and convicted by the Beatitudes, that the ethics of God's kingdom as we see it in the Beatitudes would center us and recalibrate our worship, our hearts, and the work of our hands. You have been anointed to be peacemakers by the Ruach of God, to be peacemakers for such a time as this. Beloved, thank you for having me with you today until we see each other again one day. Amen and amen.